The Red Room by H. G. Wells. I can show you, said I, and it would take a very tangible ghost to frighten me. I stood up before the fire with my glass in my hand. It is your choosing, said the man with the withered arm, and glanced at me askew-ants. Eight and twenty years, said I, have I lived, never a ghost have I seen as yet. The old woman sat staring hard into the fire, her pale blue eyes wide open. Eyes, she broke in, and eighteen, eight and twenty years you have lived, and never seen the likes of this house. I reckon there's many things to see, and one still but eight and twenty. She swayed her head slowly from side to side, and many things to see and sorrow for. I half suspected that suspected that old people were trying to enhance the spiritual terrors of their house by their droning insistence. I put down my empty glass on the table and looked about the room. I caught a glimpse of myself, abbreviated and brought into my impossible sturdiness in a queer old mirror at the end of the room. Well, I said, if I see anything tonight, I shall be so much the wiser I come to business with an open mind. It is your choosing, said the man with the withered arm once more. I heard the sound of a stick and a shimmering step on the flags in the passage outside. The door creaked on its hinges as the second man entered, more bent, more wrinkled, more aged, even than the first. He spotted himself by a single crutch, his eyes all covered by a shade. His lower lip, half averted, half pale and pink from his decaying yellow teeth, he made straight for an armchair on the opposite side of the table. Sat down clumsily and began to cough. Man with a withered arm gave this newcomer a short glance of positive positive dislike. The young man took no notice of his rival, remained of her eyes fixed steadily on the fire. It is said it's your choosing, said the man with a withered arm, when the coffin had ceased for a while. It is my choosing, I answered. Man was saved from aware of my presence for the first time. A man with shape come aware of my presence for the first time, threw his head back for a moment and sideways to see me. I caught a momentary glimpse of his eyes, small and bright and inflamed, then began to cough and splutter again. Why don't you drink, said the man with a withered arm, pushing the beer towards him. The man with shade poured out a glassful with shady hand and splashed half as much again on the deal table. A monstrous shadow of him crouched upon the wall and mocked his action as he poured and drank. I must confess, I had scarce suspected these grotesque Crestonians. There is, to my mind, something in human centrality, something crouching and aphatistic, and human qualities seem to drop from old people insensible day by day. Freedom made me feel uncomfortable. Their gaunt silences, their bent carriage, their evident unfriendliness to me and to one other. 
If, said I, you should show me to this haunted room of yours, I'll make myself comfortable here. The old man will cough, jerked his head back so suddenly that it startled me and shot another glances of his eyes at me under the table sh- under the shade. But no one answered me. I waited a minute, glancing from one to the other. If, I said a little louder, if you show me to this haunted room of yours, I will leave you from your task of entertaining me. There's a candle on the slab outside the door, said the man with the withered arm. Looking in my feet, he dressed, feet, he dressed me. But if you go to the red room tonight, a night of all nights, said the old woman, you go alone. Very well, I answered. And which way do I go? You go along the passage a bit, he said, until you come to the door. Through that is a spiralled staircase. Halfway up to, to that is a landing, another door covered with blaze. Go through that, down the long corridor to the end. The red room is on your left up the steps. Have I got that right? I said. I repeated the directions. He corrected me when particular. particular. Are you really going? said the man with shade, looking at me again with the third, for the third time. That queer and natural tilting of the face. Night of all nights, said the old woman. Is what I came for, I said. I moved towards the door. As I did so, the old man with shade rose and staggered round the table. So as to be closer to the others, to the fire. A door, I turned and looked at them. Saw so they were all close together, dark against the firelight, staring at me over their shoulders, with intent expression of their on their ancient faces. Good night, I said, setting the door open. It is your own choosing, said the man with the withered arm. I left the door wide open until the candle was well alight. Well alight, and then I shut them in and walked down the chilly, echoing passage. I must confess that the oddness of these three old pensioners, whose charge of ladyship had left the castle, and deep-toned, old-fashioned furniture of the housekeeper's room in which they foregathered affected me in spite of my efforts to keep myself up at a matter-of-fact phase. It seemed to belong to another age, an older age, an age when things spiritual were different from those of our hours, less certain an age when omens and witches were credible, a ghost beyond defying his very existence of speech. Spectacle, the cut of their clothing, fashions born in dead brains, the ornaments and conveyances of the room about them were ghostly, the faults of vanished men, which still haunted rather than precipitated in the world of today. But with effort, I sent them such faults to the right about. Long drafty subterranean passage was chilly and dusty. A candle flared and made the shadows cower and quiver. The echoes rang up and down the spiral staircase. A shadow came sweeping up after me. One fled before me into the darkness overhead. I came to the landing and stopped there for a moment. Listening to a rustling I fancy heard and satisfied the absolute silence. I pushed open a blaze covered door and stood in the corridor. The effect was scarcely what I expected for the moonlight coming in by the great window, the great stair, grand staircase picked out everything in vivid black shadows, silvery illumination. 
Everything was in place. The house might have been deserted only yesterday. Instead of 18 months ago, there was candles in the sockets of the cirrhosis. Whatever dust gathered on the carpets or upon the polished flooring was distributed so evenly as to be invisible in the moonlight. As about to advance, the sun stopped abruptly. A bronze group stood upon the sea landing, hidden from me by the corner of the wall. But his shadow fell with marvellous distinctness from the white panelling. I gave me the impression of someone crouching to waylay me. I stood rigid for a minute, half a minute perhaps, and with my hand in my pocket, I held my revolver. I advanced only to discover a Ganymede, an eagle glistening in the moonlight. The incident of time restored my nerves. Porcelain Chinaman on the Bulu table, whose house, whose head rocked silently, silently as I passed him, scarcely startled me. The door to the red room had, and the steps up to it were in a shadowy corner. I moved my candle from side to side in order to see clearly in the nature of the recesses in which they stood before opening the door. Here, here it was. Thought I and my predecessor has found the memory of the story given me a sudden twinge of apprehension. I glanced up my shoulder and grinned in the moonlight and opened the door of the red room rather hastily. My, high, my face half turned to the pleasant silence of the landing. I entered, closed the door behind me at once, turned the key, I found a lock within and stood with a candle held aloft, surveying the scene of my vigil, the great red room of Lorraine Castle, in which the young duke had died, or rather, in which he began his dying, for he had opened the door and fallen headlong down the steps I had just ascended. Then that had been the end of his vigil, his vigil, his gallant attempt to conquer the ghostly tradition of the place. Never I fault the apoxophy better served the ends of superstition. There were other and older stories that clung to the room, back to the half-credible beginning of it all, of it all, the tale of a timid wife, the tragic end that came to her husband's jest for frightening, for frightening her, and looking around the large, sombre room with its shadowy window bays, its recesses alcoves, one corner, one could well understand the legends had sprouted in its dark and its black corners. A germinating blackness, darkness, germinating darkness. A candle was like, was a, was a little tongue of light with its vastness. I failed to pierce the opposition at the opposite end of the room, led an ocean of mystery and suggestion beyond its island of light. It's old to make a semantic examination of the place at once. Dispelled the fanciful suggestions of its obscurity before they obtained a hold upon me. I was satisfied myself with the fastening of the door. I began to walk about the room, peering round each article of furniture, tucking up the vague fallacies of the bed and opening its curtains wide. I pulled out the blinds and examined the fastings the several windows before closing the shutters. I went forward and looked up the blackness of the wide chimney and tapped the dark oak panelling for any secret opening. There are two big mirrors in the room. Each had a pair of circumstances bearing candles and on the mantelshelf, two were more candles than china candlesticks. 
All these I lit after, one after the other. Her files laid expected consideration from the old housekeeper. I lit it to keep down any disposition to shiver. And when I was burning well, I stood round with my back to it and regarded the room again. I pulled up my sheets, covered armchair and table to form a kind of barricade before me. On this lay my revolver ready, ready to hand. I precise as animation. I done my good. I still found a remoter darkness of place. Its perfect stillness too stimulating to the imagination. The echoing of the stir, the crackling of the fire was no, was no sort of comfort to me. Shadowing the alcove at the end in particular had an indefinable quality presence. An odd suggestion of lurking, living thing that comes so easily in silence of solitude. Last to assure myself, I walked with a candle into it, satisfied myself that there was nothing tangible there. I stood that candle upon the floor of the alcove and left it in that position. By this time, I was in a state considered for nervous tension. Though my reason was not adequate cause for the condition, and mine ever was carefully clear, I postulated quite unreservedly that nothing that's supernatural could happen and pass the time. I began to stir some strings, some rhymes together in a cigar by fashion. The origin, original legend, or the original legend of the place. Few I spoke aloud, but the echoes were not pleasant. Oh, time, reason, I also abandoned after time, conservation for myself, better than possibility of ghosts and haunting. My inverted the three old distorted people downstairs I tried to keep upon that topic. The sombre reds and blacks of the room troubled me. Even the seven cows of the place was merely dim. A one cove flared in the draught and a flyer flickering kept the shadows of Palamara perpetually shifting and stirring. Casting about for a remedy, I called the candles I seen the passages, and with a slight effort walked out into the moonlight, carrying a candle, leaving the door open, and presently returned with as many as ten. There I put in various knickknacks of china, for which the room was sparsely adorned, lit and placed the where the shadows lay deepest. Some on the floor, some in the windows, I said. Till at last my seventeen candles were so arranged that not in each room, not but had a stretch of sunlight at least one of them. It occurred to me that when the ghost came, I would warn him not to trip over them. The room was quite brightly illuminated. There's something very cheery and reassuring in those little streaming flames and snuffing them gave me occupation and folded that full sense of passage of time. Even that, having a brooding expectation of vigil weighed heavily upon me, it was after midnight that candle in the alcove suddenly went out. Black shadow sprang back to its place. There, I did not see the candle go out. I simply turned and saw the darkness. As there, one might start and see the unexpected presence of a stranger. By Jove, I said aloud. I draft a strong one. And taking the matches for the table, I walked across the room in a leisurely manner to relight the corner again. Our first match would not strike. I seated with a second. Something seemed to blink, to blink on the wall before me. I turned my head involuntarily. I saw the two candles on the little table, a fireplace which extinguished, rose at once on my feet. Odd, I said. 
Did I do it myself in a flash of absent witnesses? I walked back. We lit one, and as I did so, I saw the candle in the right signals. One of the mirrors winked could go out. Right, go right out. And almost immediately, a companion followed it. With no mistake about it, the vein vanished. Zither wicks had been suddenly nipped between the finger and the thumb, leaving the wick neither glowing nor smoking, but black. But I stood I stood gaping, the candle of foot on the bed went out, and shadows seemed to take another step towards me. That won't do, said I, and another first one. Then another candle meant as she followed. What's up? I cried with a queer high note, getting into my voice. Somehow, as at that, the candles of wardrobe went out, and one, what, and the one I had relit in a curl code followed. <clears throat> Steady on, I said. These candles are wanted, speaking with a half hysterical face, face titiousness, and scratched away the match while a mantle, mouth for the mental candlesticks. My hands trembled so much that twice the mist of rough paper match the matchbox. The mantle merged from the darkness again. Two candles, a motor at the end of the window, were eclipsed. But with the same match, I also lit the larger mirror candles, and those on the floor down near the doorway, so that for a moment I seemed again gain on extinctions. But when then in a volley, I vanished four lights at once. In different corners of the room, I struck another match in quivering haste and stood hesitating whether to take it. I stood and decided an invisible hand seemed to sweep out the two candles on the table. But to cry of terror dashed to the alcove, then into the corner and then into the window, relighting three or more, two, two more vanished by a fireplace and perceiving a better way. I dropped the matches on the iron bound deed box in the corner and caught up the bedroom gunstick. This, this I avoided delaying striking matches, but not for all that steady process of extinction went on. The shadows of fear of fault against return crept upon me. First again, step gained on this side. I mean, then on that, it was like a ragged storm cloud sweeping out the window stars. Now, and then one returned for a minute, and then I was lost again. I was almost, now almost frantic with horror, the coming darkness, my own self-possession, possession, deserted me. I leaped, painting and disheveled from candle to candle, a vain struggle against a remoteness out of advance. I bruised myself in a fire against the table. I sent a chair headlong, stumbled and fell, whisked the cloth from the table may fall. A candle rolled away from me. I snatched another as I rose. Abruptly, this was blown out. I swung it off of the table by the wind of my sudden movement. Immediately, two remaining candles followed. But there was light still in the room. A red light stayed off the wind shadows for me. A fire, um, of course, I should tr- still trust my candle. I could still trust my candle behind the bars and relight it. I turned to where the flames were still dancing between glowing coals and splashing red reflections upon the furniture. There he two steps towards the great, great and convenient continently. The flames dwindled and vanished, and the glow vanished. Reflections rushed together and vanished. As I thrust the candle between the dark, dark 
bars darkness closed upon me like the shutting of an eye wrapped about me in a stifling embrace sealed my vision crashed the last vigils of reason from my brain a candle fell from my hand i flung out my arms in vain effort thrust of ponderous blackness away for me i lifted my voice screamed with all my might once twice thrice then i think i must have staggered to my feet i know it felt suddenly of the moonlight corridor and with my head bowed and my arms over my head, face made a run for the door but I've forgotten the exact position of the door and stuck myself heavily against the corner of the bed i staggered back turned and either struck or struck myself against some old bulky furniture i had a vague memory of battering myself thus to and fro in the darkness of cramped struggle of my own wild crying as I darted to and fro, heavy blow at last upon my forehead. Horrible sensation of falling and lasted an age of my own last frantic effort to keep my footing, and then I remember no more. I opened my eyes in daylight. My head was roughly bandaged. A man with a withered arm was watching my face. I looked about me, trying to remember what had happened, and and as for the space I could not recollect. I rolled my eyes in the corner and saw the old woman, no longer distracted, pouring out some drops of medicine, my little foul, blue fowl in the glass. Where am I? I asked. I seem to remember you, yet I cannot remember who you are. And you told me then, I heard of the haunted red room, and one hears a tale. You found you at dawn, said he. There was blood on your forehead and lips. It was very slowly. I recovered my memory, my spirits. Will you believe now, said the old man. The room is haunted. He spoke no longer as one who greets an intruder, but as one who grieves for a broken friend. Yes, said I, the room is haunted. And you have seen it? We have, we, we, we who have lived here for all, all our lives and never set far eyes upon it because we have never dared. Tell us, is it truly old ill? No, said I, it's not. I told you, said the old lady, with glass in her hand, it's his poor young countess who's frightened. It's not, I said. There is neither ghost of L nor ghost of countess in the room. There's no ghost there at all, but worse, far, worse, far worse. What else, they said? Worse are these the things, Hold poor mortal man. I said I, that is, a, it's in all his nakedness fear. Will not have light nor sound, but bear with reason, and deafens and darkens and overwhelms. It followed me for the corridor. It fought against me in the room. I stopped abruptly. As an interval silence, my hands went up to my bandages. The man in a shade sighed and spoke. That's it, said he. I knew that it was. That was it. A power of darkness had put such a curse upon a woman. It lurks there always. You can feel it when the daytime, even in a bright summer's day, hangs of the curtains, keeping beyond behind you, whatever your face about. The dusk is that it creeps along the corridor and follows you, so that there you dare not turn. The fear in that room, her black fear, there will be no longer, there be so long as his house of sin endures.